Hello, it's good to be with you today. My name is Diane Rutledge, I'm from the Brentwood campus, and we're in the second week of our Art of Neighboring series. Now, I wanna start our time off by asking us a question. When is the last time that you had an awkward interaction with someone? Now, these might be fewer and farther apart because of the shelter in place, but can you recall a time when you left someone and you thought to yourself, Oh, that was so awkward. Maybe it was during a Zoom meeting where you thought you were on mute, but you weren't and you were yelling at your kids. Well, the reality is as we're doing life with people, there are bound to be some awkward moments. And like many of you, I try to avoid these as much as possible. But I think that I may take the cake for how strategic I am about avoiding these types of situations. At our last home in Livermore, we had a neighbor across the street and he was always in his front yard. He was a kind and sweet older man that enjoyed working on his Ford Mustang. So he was always out there tinkering on his car. And this neighbor would always go out of his way to say hi to my husband and me whenever we would see him. And then we would have to engage in polite, but mostly awkward conversation. We would talk about the weather. Oh, looks like it's gonna rain today. And then he might mention like how big our boys were getting and we would just go through this process every time we saw each other. Okay, now it's time for me to confess how committed I am to avoiding awkward conversations. There were times when I was getting ready to leave the house and if I wasn't in a rush, I would first peek out my window to see if the neighbor was outside. If he was, I would stall for just a few minutes, you know, see if maybe he'd go inside or under the hood of his car so that I could avoid saying hi to him. Okay, I realize that I'm a terrible person, but I hope that I'm not the only one that dreads semi-interacting with those who live closest to me because sometimes the truth is it's just plain uncomfortable. Well, last week, Pastor Steve Ingold, he shed some light on the great commandment. Jesus said that we are called to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind and to love our neighbor as ourself. And the question that we were left to wrestle with was this, what if? When Jesus said, love your neighbors, he truly meant our actual neighbors. What would that look like? And how would our neighborhoods or our apartment complexes be impacted if we took this seriously? Now, when I consider this question, I get both inspired and convicted because clearly I'm not great about neighboring. But the truth is loving our neighbors is harder than it seems. If I honestly consider branching out and doing life with those around me, my mind, it begins to think about all the different obstacles and issues that could arise. Like what if my neighbor ends up being really needy and I have to make this long-term commitment to supporting them emotionally? Or nowadays, what if my neighbor hasn't been responsible during the pandemic and they get me sick? Or what if I personally am struggling during the season and the last thing that I have energy for is to reach out to someone that lives next door to me? And the list can go on and on. Each one of us, we have our own list of different obstacles that we face or issues that could arise when it comes to loving our neighbors. Now, as important as these things are to consider, the question that I've been asking myself this week is this, what is it truly holding me back from living out this commandment? Okay, I've had some time to marinate on this. And what I've realized is that at the root of my apprehension, at the root of my excuses to not engage is fear. Let me explain. Like if we go back to that list and I reflect on those examples, I have a fear of losing my time. What if someone's super needy? I have a fear of losing my safety. What if someone gets me sick? I have a fear of privacy. What if there's a neighbor that doesn't have boundaries? 
Now, perhaps you can relate to some of those fears, or better yet, you've experienced some of those things firsthand. Now, when it comes to fear, it can both serve us or cripple us. There may be times when it's not wise to engage with a certain person for various reasons, but the toxic thing about fear is that it often distorts our perception of reality and our perceptions whether they're true or not, do affect how we live our life. So how do we overcome these fears and begin taking steps towards connecting with those around us? Well, one thing that I love about Jesus the most is that when he commanded us to love our neighbors, he didn't just tell us what to do. He showed us how to do it. So let's go into our passage now. Go ahead and open your Bibles. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5. Now, I want to give you a little bit of context before we dive in. So Jesus has been doing a ton of ministry along the northern and um, the western side of the Galilee. And he decided that it was time to take his disciples to the eastern side, to a region called Decapolis or the Ten Cities. Now, this was a Gentile community, a.k.a. not Jewish. Now, this is important to know because there's no doubt that Jesus' Jewish disciples, they would have been hesitant or even fearful to visit their neighbors across the lake. What we know about Decapolis is that it was a region that was primarily Greco-Roman, and they were Hellenistic in their beliefs. Their religious festivals often had erotic themes and animal sacrifice, in some regions, human sacrifice, to their gods. So because of this, the Jewish community and the religious authority they would have strongly advised that no God-fearing Jew should engage with these people. The Jews' perception was that these people were wild and it was unsafe to venture into their neighborhood. But Jesus always challenged the status quo, so let's read and see what happens. Starting in verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore his chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry and cut himself with stones. Okay, so they arrive on the eastern shore, and the first person to greet them is a demon-possessed man. Welcome to the neighborhood, Jesus. Now, this wasn't uncommon for Jesus, but we read that this man was a disturbance for his entire community. People had tried to contain him with chains, but it didn't work. And he lived in a cemetery. So at this point, the disciples were like, this is why we don't go to Decapolis. Can we get in the boat and like take off? But let's keep reading to see what happens, starting in verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Wow. So as Jesus is interacting with this man, he asked him, okay, what's your name? Now that word legion, as he said, um, that's a military Greek word that the Romans would have used to describe one of their strongest forces. And this made up close to 6,000 soldiers. So this man, he wasn't just possessed by a couple demons, but by an army of darkness. And they begged Jesus, don't send us out of the area. 
Now what's crazy about this is that these demons, they weren't just oppressing this man, but they were oppressing this entire community. The military reference, Legion, it expresses their violent nature and their desire to do battle with anyone encountering them in this area. So the community, they were terrorized by these demons. This was their area that they patrolled and they begged Jesus, don't send us out of the area. But when the divine meets demonic, it really is a no contest battle. So let's see what happens. Okay, so starting in verse 11, it says a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Okay, that is quite an event as Jesus meets these Decapolis neighbors for the first time. But let's pause the story in Mark for a moment and begin to connect this with our neighborhood. Now, I have some good news for you. I can say with 99.9% .9 certainty that when you meet your neighbors, they will not have a demonic legion oppressing them. Now, some of you may be thinking, like, you haven't met my neighbors. Okay, that's fine. Maybe they do. But perhaps, like in the story, you can relate to having neighbors that are disruptive. They make a ton of noise, and they party too hard. Or on the other end, your neighbor is too uptight and complains about you way too much. Well, I can relate to this. We had a neighbor that we shared a back fence with, and this neighbor really enjoyed smoking marijuana. Okay, whatever. But there were times when we could smell the smoke inside our homes because of how close together our houses were. Well, one day my kids were in the backyard playing because I have three little boys and they love doing this. And my oldest came up to me and he asked me, Mommy, what's that smell? But as I looked at his face, I was like, oh no, this isn't a conversation I'm prepared to have with you or that I even really want to have with my seven-year-old. And it was in that moment that I just got annoyed. And out of my frustration, I began to form a perception of who this neighbor was. Well, during a bad winter storm, um, the fence that separated our houses, it fell down. And um, a few days later, we got a knock on the door from our neighbor. She came over to ask if we would be willing to share the cost of replacing the fence, and I ended up chatting with her for some time. Now, honestly, when she first introduced herself, I was a little confused because my perception of who I thought she was didn't match the person that I was talking to. Uh, she was sweet and considerate and kindly interacted with our kids, and I'm pretty sure that if I had had the courage to talk to her, she would have been understanding about my kids smelling smoke when they hung out in the backyard. Okay, so I share that story, not because we became best friends and it has this fairy tale ending, but because I saw this neighbor as a disruption to my life. So I allowed a chasm to grow between me and her, but I had never met her. See, as Jesus was doing ministry, we see time and time again that he welcomed disruption. As he was interacting with people, what we would see as a disturbance, he would see as an invitation. While I was writing this message, the craziest thing happened. I often worked in uh, one of the bedrooms that overlooks our front yard. And one evening I had the windows open and I was typing away and I overheard a conversation of a young woman passing by. She was on the phone and as she was walking past my house, she said, um, she said this, she said, oh my gosh, I cannot stand my new house. My neighbors are already complaining that we're too loud. Now, 
when I heard that my jaw hit, I was like, I'm talking about loving our neighbors. Now, I don't know anything about this girl's story or how loud she was being, but what I do know from pre, like briefly overhearing her conversation is that she felt unwelcomed by her new neighbors, by her new community. And I couldn't help but think, what if her neighbor had responded differently? Instead of seeing her as um, a disruption, seeing her noise as a disturbance to their peace and quiet, they saw it like Jesus as an invitation to connect. I think more than ever, friends, that there are people around us that are hurting. <laughs> they may not be oppressed by a legion of darkness, but oppression and suffering, it comes in different shapes and sizes. Maybe you're watching today and you're suffering. You feel isolated. You feel overwhelmed and emotionally fatigued. Perhaps you've lost your job or you are in a relationship crisis, but you're not sure how to find support and what you're going through. See, here's the thing. God's design for this commandment is to create a community support so no one suffers alone. And I think it's important to know that Jesus, he's inviting us to be a part of this process, to bring hope and encouragement to each other. That's the key. As we live this out, it's not meant to be one-sided. We don't love our neighbors so that we can check it off our list and be the heroes of the story. We do this because this will bring life and support to us and to those around us. This is good. Okay, let's keep reading our story to see what happens. Okay, starting in verse, I'm on the wrong page. Let's see, starting in verse 14. Okay, so those tending the sheep or tending the pigs ran off. And at this point, the 2,000 pigs have just run into the lake and drowned. And so these guys, they ran off and they reported this in town and in the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Okay, so the pig herders ran off to tell everyone there's this new guy in town and he is causing quite a ruckus. Now, when the people from the community came to see what had happened, uh, we read that they were afraid and they actually asked Jesus to leave. So another observation that we can take from the story is that we may try to connect with our neighbors and you could be met with both apprehension or rejection. Um, at the Brentwood campus, we know this incredible couple that has been deliberate about connecting with their neighbors over the last few months. And back in May, this couple went cherry picking and they decided to get enough cherries to share with everyone on their block. I wish I lived on their block. And they hand delivered each one of these treats to their neighbors. But there was one neighbor specifically, whenever they knocked, he didn't answer his door. So instead of harassing this guy, they decided to just leave the jar and the cherries on the front porch. Well, the next day as the husband was leaving for work, he saw the jar and the cherries thrown on his front yard. Ouch, talk about rejection. Now, as painful as this rejection is, and I know for this couple, it was really discouraging, we can't let that fear keep us from trying to connect with the people on our block or in our complex. And here's why, watch and see what happens. Okay, so verse 18, 
As Jesus was getting into the boat, so he, they were like, leave. He's getting into the boat, and the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus did not let him. But he said, go. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away, and he began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Now, what's interesting about this story is that Jesus says yes to two requests. He says yes to the demon's request to go into the herd of pigs, and he says yes to the community's request for him to leave. But when this man, he asked to go with him, Jesus said no. Why? Well, the answer is found right here. He said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. See, Jesus may not have been welcomed in this area, but he left behind something powerful. We read that he began to share in the Decapolis area and all the people were amazed. The man that had once been possessed by a legion of demons, God would now use in mighty ways to minister to his family and neighbors in ways that people from outside the area ever could. Friends, we might think that church is the be-all, end-all for how someone hears and experiences Jesus, but what we see time and time again is that people discover Jesus through the testimony and lives of his followers. See, God hasn't placed you where you are by accident, but by divine placement. And I think about my own story. I didn't just grow up in church, and I definitely didn't just show up to church one day but I did have multiple interactions with people that had experienced transformation through their faith in Jesus. And see, their faith in Jesus, it amazed me. It piqued my curiosity, and it eventually opened my eyes to see God moving in my own life. See, the truth is, you may have neighbors that would never set foot in church, but they're willing to spend some time with someone that knows Jesus. And I also want to point out that loving your neighbors, it doesn't mean that you're inviting them over to force them to hear your typed out testimony. I know for some of, us, some of us, like we've been taught that as believers, we need to evangelize and push Jesus into every conversation. But loving your neighbors, it's not about having an agenda. It's about meeting them on their turf and loving them where they're at. No strings attached, attached at all. Now, the good news is if entering our buildings, it's not an option. People can still experience Jesus because Jesus lives inside of us. And he's actually appointed us to display this message of hope to others. Paul talks about this in his letter to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians 5, here's what he has to say about this. Starting in verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. So you're a new creation in Christ, right? And he says, all of this from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. It says that God gave us this ministry of reconciliation and that he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Who has he committed the message of reconciliation to? To the pastors? to the well-versed or super-educated, to the most righteous? No, he's given this message of reconciliation to you. And then in verse 20, he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, 
as though God were making his appeal through us. Isn't that powerful? God is making his appeal to the world through you, and he believes in you. In fact, he delights in giving you this ministry of reconciliation because he values and treasures you. He knows you're not perfect, just like the demon-possessed man, but he is still sending you out. Now, the question that popped into my mind as I was writing this was, how do we realistically do this? Now, I understand we're in a unique season where meeting our neighbors can actually be difficult because of social distancing and social bubbles. So as a team, we've been working really hard to create a resource to help you take a COVID-friendly approach to connecting with your neighbors. Um, you can find that at cornersonweb.org backslash neighbors. And this is great. This is going to be a foundation, just so a good way to start. But here's the thing. Let's not overcomplicate how to love our neighbors. Start small, go to get to know them, and then be intentional to connect with them however you can. Well, as we come to the end of this story, I want us to take a moment to think about the demon-possessed man. Um, wow, what was it like for him to walk back into his community after being healed? I imagine that he had a mix of feelings and emotions. In Luke's account of this same story, he records that this man had not worn clothes for a long time. So he was the neighborhood exhibitionist, and perhaps he was a little self-conscious to see people again in his right mind. I wonder if on the walk back into town, he was worried, and he had to overcome his own fears and his own shortcomings of connecting with people again. See, I used to think that the greatest miracle in the story was that Jesus healed this man, but the true miracle is that this man went back to his neighbors. Despite all the obstacles and preconceived ideas that they would have had about him, he boldly shared the love of Jesus. See, at the end of the day, there's risk in getting to know our neighbors. It can be messy, it can be intimidating. You may already have baggage with some of your neighbors and your next step is to resolve some of that conflict. And even though connecting with those around us, it might be risky. See, we follow the greatest risk taker that ever lived. And Jesus' risk, it was always motivated by love. The day that Jesus went to see this demon-possessed man, he took risk. He risked his reputation because a Jewish rabbi shouldn't go to that Gentile region. He risked his safety as he and the disciples were actually almost capsized on their way over there. You can read about that in the passage right before. But Jesus, he was willing to take this risk because that's what love does. Fear runs from risk, love runs towards risk. And Jesus didn't sail across the Galilee only to commission this man, but he went over there because of his love for this man. See, Jesus wanted to heal his mind and his body, and then he wanted to give him a purpose that no one else thought that he deserved because Jesus doesn't care what other people think because he is in the business of restoration. He restores our dignity and value. He brings healing and new life to our bodies. And he does this out of his great love for each one of us. So as we reflect on Jesus's great love, that he was willing and he did risk all of it for us, we have the opportunity now to reciprocate that by caring, listening, and investing into those around us. Let's not miss this opportunity. I know that we might have different fears about putting ourselves out there, but it will be worth the risk. 
Well, in just a moment, we're going to be taking communion together, and we're going to give you an opportunity to get your elements. But I want to pray over us as we close out this time together and enter into communion. You can bow your heads with me. Father, I thank you so much for the risk that you were willing to take on us. I thank you that it was no guarantee that we would love you back, but you thought it was worth it. God, I pray that you would give us courage to overcome any fears or obstacles that are keeping us from living out this commandment. God, give us boldness. Help us to do this, Jesus. I pray for anyone that feels isolated in their community right now, that you would send Christians, their neighbors, to love them however they can. God, that we would be a support system for each other in this crazy season we're going through. Jesus, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Bye, church. We'll see you next time.